0: Exodus 33.1 When last we left our hero and his people they were cutting up, not our hero, but the people were. You remember Yahweh threatened and we talked about what the whole thing meant with regard to strengthening Moses and, and so forth. So we pick up here and where we're, where we're leading to is, we're not going to get there tonight, but where we're leading to is the establishment, the, the repeat or the reestablishment of the covenant, so to speak. We're not going to get there, but we're going to see some things, I think, that are very interesting about uh, a developing relationship with, uh, with Yahweh. Yahweh spoke to Moses, go ascend from here, you and the people, you who have brought up from the land of Egypt. the land that I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you, and I will... Whoops. And I will... There we go. Drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey, because I will not go up in your midst since you are a stiff-necked people. Uh, I got the... uh, (laughs) I got the memorandum. (laughs) Uh, 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 The Coley's in Uganda, their message today was on this very chapter, and their pastor there kept calling them a stiff-necked people. (laughs) (laughs) And I will offer no comment on that at all. (laughs) I'm just going to leave it where it is. Well, you know, well, that old guy that uh, said Elvis is dead and I'm not feeling too good myself. What was that guy? L- uh, l- um, he used to explain the difference between naked and naked. He said, you know, naked is cultural, but if you're naked, you're up to something. I don't know if I can go on from here or not. Now we have this image. (laughs) Lest I destroy you on the way. (laughs) Now, a couple of things here. The plan, of course, is still on. God always accomplishes his plan. And things seem to strengthen along the way, even, even when things seem to go bad. reiterates that the land is going to be given to them. He's going to send an angel. Now, here's, here's the bottom line. At this point, to the people, now we know what happens with the, with the spies that are sent out later on, um, and they bring the bad report back, but that notwithstanding, right now, here, Because you and I have the privilege of knowing what later scripture says. But here's what these people know, and this is what Moses knows. That God is going to drive out all of the people who are already there. Now the land already flows with milk and honey. That was the purpose of the Canaanites being in the land. God's purpose for them was to have it so that when Israel goes into the land, they don't have to do a thing. It's already producing, it's productive, it's the most productive land on, in the world. Not just that, they won't have to fight. I will send an angel before you uh, to a land flowing milk and honey. All right, because, and then God threatens, I'm not going to go up there with you because you're stubborn. Because if I get in there with you, I'll kill you. That's just about what he says here. I'll destroy you along the way. When the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his finery, his fancy stuff. Now, that all came from Egyptians. And it might be, some, some scholars believe that it might be that some of the ornaments and stuff that they wore... Had had images of some of the false gods and goddesses of Egypt. Doesn't say that, but it could be that uh, they still. These things looked so pretty and and had such worth that even though it had a an image of a god on it from Egypt, you know they thought, well, this is so pretty. I hate to give it up. That may be the way it was. Yahweh said, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If I go up in your midst for one moment, I'll destroy you. But now leave off your finery, that is your your ornaments and stuff, and I will know what to do to you. So the sons of Israel divested themselves of their finery or their ornaments from Mount Horeb. So now they're not going to try to look like Egypt anymore. Uh and the experience of the golden calf probably taught them at this point that they still had too much fondness for the ways of, of Egypt. And, and God taught them a great lesson uh, through what he did in at the, at the last time we studied that. Moses took the tent and pitched it for himself outside the camp. Now, the tabernacle has not been built yet. This is not the tabernacle, okay? Probably, it's either a, it's either a tent that Moses had designed specially for, especially for this, or it's his own tent. Takes it outside the camp, distancing it from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And it would be that anyone seeking Yahweh "...would go out to the tent of meeting which was outside the camp. And it would be that when Moses would go out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each one at the entrance of his tent, and they would gaze after Moses until he went into the tent. And it would be that when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and he would speak with Moses." Okay, there's still a very important principle at work here, and, and it's, it started out this way, and it hasn't changed, and if anything, the truth of it has been strengthened through all this experience, namely, Yahweh speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to the people. That's the way God designed it. Uh, so everything that God does shows the people that Moses is his special representative, Uh, And again, it's the same thing. Now there's a little more emphasis to it. Okay, here's the thing. Things weren't like, things are not now here like they were before the golden calf experience. Some bad things have happened and some clarifications need to be made. And there has to be an understanding. And I see three parties here. I see Yahweh, I see Moses, and I see the people. So, Moses here is going to confess that he still doesn't know Yahweh like he wants to know Him. Go back to the last time and Yahweh meant all these threats and then Moses says, well, that's not what you said and your word is infallible. You can't go against your word. You can't start all over with me and... and 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 just destroy all these other people. All of that is a growing process uh, for for Moses, and that process continues here. So it says in verse nine that Moses would enter the tent, pillar of cloud descend, stand at the entrance of the tent, and he would speak with Moses. When all the people would see the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise, prostrate themselves, each one at the entrance of his tent. Then Yahweh would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his companion. And he would return to the camp, but his attendant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a lad would not depart from the tent. Now, if it's at that point in time, it's just unimaginable how Yahweh would speak. Okay, this is a physical manifestation of Yahweh. The voice obviously comes from the pillar of fire. And so the pillar of fire would speak directly to the face of Moses as someone would speak to his companion, or the word means friend as well, uh, someone that he's close to, that he's with. So... So this was, uh, this was a very special relationship and God would reveal himself through his word via the voice from the fire directly to Moses. All right, now with that said, let's move on. Moses said to Yahweh, look, you say to me, "'Bring this people up, but you have not informed me whom you will send with me. "'And you said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my eyes. "'And now, if I have indeed found favor in your eyes, please, or pray, let me know your ways, "'so that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your eyes, "'and consider that this nation is your people.' Moses wants more information about Yahweh. I have news for him. He will never exhaust it. He'll never exhaust all that you can know. And we're going to see that Yahweh says that to him in, in, in just a little bit. But he says, I have to know some things here. This, this whole event of the golden calf and Moses, Moses speaking to Yahweh, your, your response to all that? And now, what you've said to me, um, I need to know your ways. I need to know more about this, and and what's going on. So, consider this nation as your people. All right, let's keep going. You always said to Moses, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." And he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not take us up from here. For how then will it be known that I have found favor in your eyes, I and your people? Is it it not in that you will go with us? Then I and your people will be distinguished from every other nation on the face of the earth. So this is Moses' discourse, almost an argument. Yahweh just said, "My presence will go, and I will give you rest." And the, the the implication is with you, with us. Well, if it doesn't, then 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 you don't need to do anything else because this whole deal is built on the premise that you are Israel's God and they are your people. And that you have a land that you promised their forefathers. And it's a wonderful land. And you have said that they're going to be led into this land. The land belongs to them. So if you're not going to go with us, don't take us up from here. Because this is how, by your carrying them. And you see, this is like an impossible journey. Two and a half, three million people. The, the great thing that happened, which was an impossibility, was how they were, how they really defeated Egypt, although Yahweh did it with the closing up of the water. They came out a rich people with all this gold and stuff. Um, they're given a direction. They, they fought the Amalekites who were a, who were a very formidable uh, army in their day. So now they've defeated Egypt. They defeated the Amalekites. This whole thing is just uh, one miracle after another. They get fed manna. Water comes out of a rock. Um, a pillar of fire to protect them. Uh, a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. The, at that point, the visible presence of Yahweh by the by the pillar of fire, the promise of His presence in, in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And so Yahweh travels with them in these implements that they're supposed to make uh, and set up in a tabernacle. This, this, this is news all across the land. When they that's in actually the book of Numbers, but when they come to Moab, the king of Moab already knows that they're on the move. These people, everybody knows this. And of course, it's kind of hard to miss a couple of million people traveling in mass. Uh, You know, a cloud of dust and you wonder what's going on. So uh, everybody see, and these people are headed toward Canaan. This is the land that God uh, is giving them. And this is what Moses says to the Lord in his discourse. He said, you know, we're your people. The fact that you are with us This distinguishes us from any other nation. No other nation can say that their God is like this, so visible, so powerful, Uh, and that we are headed to the land that hundreds of years ago was promised to their forefathers. This, This is all proof that this nation is distinguished from all others. So if this doesn't work out, then then the distinction of your people is going to be lost. This is not going to work out. So this is is the uh, concern of Moses. Yahweh said to Moses, Even this thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my eyes, and I have known you by name. Now you can see how important Moses is to the people of Israel. This whole thing hangs on Moses. And you can see why even Jews today think of Moses as such a great spiritual leader uh, of their people. You have found favor in my eyes. I have known you by name. And he said, Show me now your glory. Now, all he's ever been is just in a cloud. He's heard the voice, he's seen the pillar of fire, and he heard the voice out from the pillar of fire. He wants to take this a step further. Show me now your glory. He said, I will let all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will, I will favor when I wish to favor. And I will have compassion when I wish to have compassion. Compassion. So Yahweh is still in charge, and uh, Paul repeats this in Romans. I will, I will have favor on whom I'll have favor, compassion on whom I'll have compassion. Well, that, that begs the negative side of the question. Side of the question, what about the others? Well, what about them? <laughs> and the Lord says, and uh, through Paul uh, to the letter of Romans, you know, I didn't make everybody alike. And it's, it's not the clay to question the potter and his intent. So that whole premise starts right here that Yahweh is in charge and that he will favor whom he will favor and be compassionate toward whom he would be compassionate. Proclaim his name before Moses. And he's letting Moses know uh, that, uh, that he is still in control of what people He will choose and bring to himself. And he said, you will not be able to see my face. For man shall not see me and live. And Yahweh said, behold, there is a place with me and you shall stand on the rock. And it shall be that when my glory passes by, I will pass you into the, I will place you into the cleft of the rock And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Now, um, let me go back here to verse 14. My presence is with you. I will give you rest. Then again, I'm going to show you what i'm going to show you of myself but i'm not going I'm not going to show you you can't you can't contain it at that moment in time it would be impossible for a person to receive the sight of the face of yahweh it's too much it's too profound. Moses would disintegrate I mean just it, it couldn't happen now there's a there's a there's a greater truth here. And the truth is this that Yahweh has reserved to himself how and to what extent he will reveal himself. Now that's for our good. That's not that, that that's for our good. Because he says here you are not resourced you're not equipped you're not created with the ability to see my face to see who I really am you know in the in the bible in the old testament in the hebraistic in the hebraisms if god turned his if his countenance fell or if he turned his face away that was displeasure well those are metaphoric but it also speaks. It also speaks of the um, of of the power of the personality and the person of the Godhead. Now, here a truth is is revealed, and my brain is swiftly passing through the Book of Genesis, and I know we haven't seen it in Exodus. It's written about in Proverbs, but to this point, God makes this point: I will never reveal everything about myself to you. Now, that's just something that God's people have to live with. Uh, and Moses, you know, Moses didn't fuss about it. He got to see, he got to see the the, the, the back as he passed by but the Lord shielded him from the part that would have just destroyed him. Which carries me into something that is said, I'll have to look it up, but it's to to paraphrase what's said in Proverbs. The Lord says, you will never know all of the secrets of my power. You, You can't, it's impossible. We will never know The complete wholeness of the person of God, it's unimaginable. Okay, we have one dimension of time, three dimensions of space. And there's more to that than God. I mean, I, there's no limit to God. There's no limit. It's impossible for me to imagine unlimited, unlimited... Uh, Time and space. It's un, it's un, uh, unlimited space. Okay, more than three dimensions of space. Unlimited dimensions of space. See, I, I can't fathom that. When I was in seminary, the speaking of the three dimensions of time and space, our professor he said, okay, he said, let's think of I Love Lucy world. I date myself in seminary. <laughs> I can't okay let's let's put ourselves in Hebrew world okay I can see that and I can see that but I can't take a peek behind it I can't go in there and walk around and 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 that thing you know that's impossible because it exists in two dimensions And as it is right there, it will only exist in two dimensions. Now, the day may come where I can, where the letters would be out there in the air, you know, and you can look around behind it. But it doesn't exist that way today. As it is right there, it's always in two dimensions. As I am, I'm always in three dimensions. I can't go beyond that. I can't enter into I Love Lucy world, and I Love Lucy can't come into my world. Well, God is not just extra-dimensional. He is infinitely dimensional. If God says, if God declares he's going to put himself into 10,000 dimensions and then says, you know, I think I'm going to go into another 11,000 after this 10,000. He could do that. I cannot imagine. What else is there besides up and down and through? I don't know. I don't know. Of course, there's time. But, uh, and there's only one dimension of time as far as I can't imagine more than one dimension of time. What, what would it be like? So, this is what God is saying in His Word. There are limits as to what you can know about me, and you'll never know anything beyond what I can show you, what I will show you. And, there, and then He says, to carry that a step further, to paraphrase what's said in Proverbs, uh, um, I'm pretty sure it's in Proverbs. He says, There are things about my power and I think it's relative in the context, it's relative to his power of creation. There are things you'll never know. You cannot know them. For example, okay, one of the great arguments in in apologetics from a Christian standpoint to an evolutionist is an evolutionist keeps going backward and backward and backward in time and backward in time and he gets all the way to that primordial soup or whatever it is that he's thinking about But he can never explain how something that couldn't live was made to live. Not only that, he can't tell you how the primordial soup got there. He just knows it's there. Uh, He can tell you about the Big Bang, but who, who, who exploded it? Who blew it up, if that's what you want to think about? One scientist says that all of the matter of the universe at one time was so compressed that it could fit on the point of a pen, and finally, the compression could not be contained anymore, and the energy—if you can imagine that—everything in the universe squeezed down so tiny, it's on the point of a pen, and it's just going blow up, on the blow up, on the blow up, and it does—boom! That's the Big Bang, right? Well, that's fine, but who put the stuff together and stuck it on the point of the pen? you can't ever get to that point and that's where God says that's where you got to stop. I'm the only one who knows that. You'll never know it. You can't know. So this is what God, this is a great lesson for Moses and for the people of Moses. Moses can actually say to the people when they come up with, you know, where'd God come from? He could actually say, I don't know. And feel good about it. Because God... doesn't tell him. I'm like the guy that I've seen him on Facebook. He makes an excellent point, a Christian apologist. He said, you're asking the wrong question. You can't ask that question of God because God doesn't fit into the time-space continuum and your question implies that God fits into a time-space continuum like we do. You can't ask that question. That's not even a question. It's impossible to ask the question when you think of the greatness of God. And that's what God says here to Moses, in a very basic, in a very basic lesson. You want to know something that you can't know. You wouldn't know how to handle it. It's like Jack Nicholson on the stand of, whatever that movie was, and Tom Cruise says, you know, and he he tells him he said you can't handle the truth. That's what he's saying to Moses. You can't handle all the truth. You know, there's some of it. You just can't handle, and and therein we rest our case. That's why it is so, from at least from a Christian perspective, it is so silly and ridiculous to even engage in an argument with fools who say there is no God. Not to be condescending; those are very intelligent people to a point, but but they have no they have no uh, you know they have no spiritual compass. And one of the easiest things to do is to prove the existence of a soul. That's a very easy thing to do. You know, have you ever loved somebody? Can you you show me a picture of jealousy from your heart or love or hate? Can you can you put your dream that you had on the screen? Can't do it. It's, it's the soul. It comes from the soul of a person. And so what makes fools out of people who argue against the existence of God is, in their very existence, their lives prove daily that they have a spirit, and that's the very thing they deny, which is oxymoronish, I guess. And this is what Moses is learning from God. And this is a great lesson for Moses to learn. I'll take you so far. And I'm willing to speak to you face to face. But you've got to understand something. There are things you'll never know because you can't know them. And therefore things I'll never tell you. Now then we're going to go on into chapter 34 here on this one to keep it in, within a context. Yahweh said to Moses, Hew for yourself. I I did that other one, didn't I? Didn't I? Let's see. But my face shall not be seen. I did that. Yeah, okay. Yahweh said to Moses, Hew for yourself two stone tablets like the first ones. I will inscribe upon the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Interesting point. We'll get to that when we get to it. Be prepared for the morning, and in the morning you shall ascend Mount Sinai and stand before me there on the top of the mountain. No one shall ascend with you, neither shall anyone be seen anywhere on the mountain, neither shall the sheep and the cattle graze, not even facing that mountain. So Moses hewed two stone tablets like the first ones. Moses arose early in the morning and ascended Mount Sinai as Yahweh had commanded him. And he took two stone tablets in his hand and Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And he called out in the name of Yahweh, and Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed Yahweh, Yahweh, El Rahum, or God of, of mercy, uh, merciful God, I guess, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness or covenant love and truth, preserving loving kindness or covenant love. There's a chesed uh, word um, there um, for thousands forgiving iniquity and rebellion and sin, yet he is not completely clear of sin. He visits the iniquity of parents on children and children's children to the third and fourth generations. This is a great lesson for Israel because they're going to fall into this trap much much later in their existence. They can't. When they sin against Yahweh, and you know their great sin in in, in the rest of the Old Testament is the sin of idolatry—that's putting other gods ahead of God or in the place of God—and God just can't gloss over that. Moses someday won't be around anymore, so uh, God, God, He's warning the people here: I'm a loving and forgiving God. I'm compassionate. And I'm slow to anger. And I'm abundant in, in, in covenant love and in truth. And I preserve this covenant love for thousands. And I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. But you've got to understand something. Sin carries its consequences. And uh, we'll, we see, of course, that worked out through the rest of the Old Testament. Uh, now to end this part today, verses eight and nine. Moses hastened, bowed his head to the ground, prostrated himself, and said, "If I have now found favor in your eyes, Adonai, let Adonai go now." So, all right, let's think about this. Yahweh passed before him. Okay, what did Yahweh say? He said uh, that he would he would he would proclaim his name. Um. And here he does, he proclaims his name. He proclaims Yahweh, Yahweh, God of uh, mercy or benevolence, something like that. What does your Bible say there? Compassionate, compassionate God, merciful Passionate. God, okay. Who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. All right, so he, he comes, he calls out his name, and he describes himself. He gives, he gives yet a further description of who he is, he testifies to Moses a little more deeply about himself. This is how I operate. So, so this, is a, this is a thing where Moses deepens his understanding and the intimacy between him and Yahweh even grows more deeply. And so having, having heard Yahweh call out in his name... Moses calls out to him and calls him Master Lord, Adonai, Master. He's more willing at this point to give a title to his friend rather than just call out in his name. It's, It's an interesting point because Moses is humbled even more at this point. Adonai, Let Adonai go now in our midst, even if they are a stiff necked people, and you shall forgive our iniquity and our sin and thus secure us as your possession. This is an intercessory prayer from Moses. Moses intercedes, and then the second statement of the covenant comes up after this, and we'll get to that um, next time. So we'll stop it right there. Let's pray. Father, we marvel at who you are. We thank you of how you've even seen fit to reveal yourself in the way that you have, especially that you came to us in the person of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we just pray now that as we study these scriptures that we learn more about you and walk more closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen.